to the Citrep podcast, your source for everything related to historical wargaming. Whether you are looking for the latest wargaming news, reviews, painting tutorials, or playthroughs, you will hear about it right here. So grab your favorite beverage or brush and let's hit it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the next big episode of the Citrep podcast. And joining me, as always, is our big man in historical knowledge, Mr. Jim Ariskany. Jim, how are you, sir? Not too bad. Hello, everyone. And then here in the Midwest, struggling through many facets, and that's all I'm going to say about it because we're not going to get into the politics of it, is my dear friend, Marty. Marty, sir, how are you today? Good morning, good morning. I am uh, I'm well. I'm a little bit tired. It's been a long week for me, but uh, yeah. Yeah. So here we are gathered together to bring you the latest and greatest in historical wargaming with an emphasis on modern. And uh, we won't talk about the elephant in the room just yet, but we are actually going to scratch a little bit of it today uh, because it relates to a topic we talk about quite often. And the reason I'm going to bring it up is not obviously it's hot in the news, but um, I saw on the Spectre Miniatures website or Facebook page, somebody made a comment about it, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But first, I got to warm up my Commodore 64 and pull my show notes off of it. No reaction, guys? No reaction at all? <laughs> it's funny because it's true. That's, it is. <laughs> I mean, you may not actually have your notes on it, but you actually do have a Commodore 64. Oh, yeah. I got a Commodore 64, 128, and my SX64 all sitting here with an original Commodore monitor, or disk drives. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. See, that actually makes me feel better because all of my work I do for Sitra Podcast is done on an 11-year-old Windows 7 machine. I don't, you know, and then oh, someone else on the team has an older computer than I do, so that's actually <laughs> actually makes me feel great. Now, Jim, how do you keep that? How do you keep that thing running, Jim? I keep it running because I'm very, very careful with it. I'm very, you know, I, I, I the reason I keep it going is because it's got a full Photoshop suite on it. I don't have the discs for it anymore, and I'm not giving away like <laughs> fifty or sixty dollars a month, right? Because they don't even sell the discs anymore. You have to subscribe right. to yeah. that bullshit. Yeah, so. Um, yep. You know, that reminds me, I got to let everybody know that as of September 1st, we'll no longer have Adobe Suite access because I'm not paying the, I was $30 a month because I was under quote unquote student access because, you know, uh, my degree, uh, but that's ending and now it's like $50, $60 a month, you know, for full access. And I'm like, I'm not paying that anymore. Uh, there are other options out there. Believe it or not, I might actually buy a MacBook because uh, Final Cut Pro is actually really good and you only pay for it once. Um, you know, and that's what Macs are designed for is video editing and graphics. So I might get one just exclusively for the podcast, but I haven't decided yet. So anyways, um, I also, Jim, just to make you feel better, I have a handheld. Do you remember the big craze of handheld PCs? Like Sony had one where you could flip the screen, had a little keyboard underneath it. And, um, oh, right. Yep. And then there was one called an Okio 2. It was like a screen. It kind of slid. I have both of those and they're on Windows XP. And I still use HP, those. Too. Nice. Yeah, I still use. I play Command and Conquer on them. You know because there you go. Yeah, <laughs> not Command and Conquer. <laughs> Are you part of the Brotherhood of Nod and Commander Kane and yeah. all that nonsense? Of course. Oh no, no, no. 
That's that's awesome and sad at the same time. (laughs) Hey, you know, uh, so, you know, just goes back. Some of the stuff that's, you know, worked back in the day still works great today, you know, for, uh, to be honest with a lot of people. So it's not like sitting down to a good game of Archon on the Commodore 64. Love Archons. It's a, if you don't know what that is, it's a battle chess game. So made by EA back in the day. So that Mule. Do you remember Mule, Jim? Did you ever play Mule? No. Okay. So Mule no. is this uh, sci- sci-fi game where you control these robotic mules. I can't remember what M-U-L-E stood for, but and it was like space exploration and stuff like this. It was pretty cool. It was a big game back in the uh, day. I thought you had to get drugs from Columbia to Miami. <laughs> That's a different game. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> Anyway, that fit that fit in with the modern thing, though. right? All right, so um, let's start with just a quick catch up, Marty. I know you've been really busy and probably not much going on in your world. Um, Jim, we're gonna let you uh, crank off this one for us, sir, because I'm gonna be honest with you, I haven't had much because you know, as I unfortunately had to post the other night, um, work has gotten insanely stupidly busy. Um, you know, I'm spending 17, 18 hours a day at work. Because uh, COVID is reared its ugly head, and for those who don't know, I uh, manage a, a unit in a hospital, uh, a critical care unit, and we were actually had ICU overflow into our unit. So, yeah. So uh, that's another thing I'm not going to talk about: vaccinations and masking and all that. You know, there. Yeah, let's get to, there, there's another political topic right. we can probably we don't want to dive into. So, um, unfortunately, real world stuff has gotten in the way. I would love to step away and do the podcasts and streaming and everything on a full-time basis. But until this channel starts making uh, dinero, I don't see that happening. So anyhow, what you been up to, Jim? Oh, um, not too much. We've had some pretty good gaming streams lately. Yeah. We started off with, um, I'm not sure. I remember we talked about doing it, but I think it was after the last podcast we actually kicked off uh, in earnest our Red Dragon 2028 campaign. Mm-hmm. So Red Dragon 2028 is kind of a cheesy name for our little impromptu. We didn't really plan this. It just kind of happened, and we're, we're rolling with it, and so far it's been great. It is our imagination or our uh, our sort of our own little techno thriller you know, setting, half-assed setting, where we're imagining a Chinese invasion of Taiwan uh, in the near future. Right. So, yeah, the whole setup is, you know, we talk about it in the stream, so I won't go over it like 100% here. But um, the, the, the setting, how the Chinese have actually invaded in this, you know, fictional imaginary war, how it happened, what parts of it went well, what their plan was, what facets of their plan succeeded, what facets of their plan failed, what the uh, Western Pacific uh, response has been, of course, from Taiwan, also the United States. Uh, South Korea, and even Japan. So there's a lot of uh, politics that we have to work around as far as, you know, could Japan send a lot of troops to help out? They might be able to send a few, probably not a lot because of some constitutional issues they have in their government. Could the United States send a lot of troops? Perhaps not as much as they could because it's on the other side of the Pacific. Pacific is pretty big. We do have some stuff staged. Uh, I think 2nd U.S. Infantry is, is more or less rotating in and out of uh, – rotating different brigades in and out of South Korea all the time. Mm-hmm. The problem is, you know, that's not enough to stop a full scale, you know, like one or two brigades of 2nd U.S. Infantry to stop an entire, you know – we have two Chinese armies in there. 
uh, group armies, basically reinforced corps. So we're looking at at least 100, 120,000 troops. Um, could they, you know, slow it down or stop it? How fast could the airlift get real troops in there? Depends on control of the air and the sea, and we're gaming through that as well. We're doing at least four different systems in this. We're doing Battle Carry Sabo, Panzer Leader, Air War C-21, and uh, Naval Command. So we're air, ground, and sea. We're doing the whole. We're doing the whole thing. And we're not trying to make any serious predictions here, because number one, we don't really have enough data to really make a you know a determination. We have no idea if God forbid China ever actually did this, how they would do this, and to what strategic level they would commit. And uh, frankly, I don't think they. I don't think they would, at least not in the in the, uh, in the uh, near future. Yeah. Um, but we're just sort of imagining. Hey, just in case, you know. Um, it's, it's one of those scenarios that is realistic enough to be, or plausible enough, I should, I should say, it's plausible enough to kind of be interesting and think about, but at the same time, kind of remote enough to where, you know, we can run this scenario and not feel like, uh, you know, assholes basically, right. <laughs> like we're wishing this to happen. It's kind of in that, in that sweet spot, I feel. Um, yeah, the, the prospects, I think of, a, of an actual red Chinese full-scale conventional invasion of Taiwan is not too likely, uh, at least not in the, in the foreseeable future. That's the reason for the, all the Spratly Island nonsense and everything else that they're doing is they're, they're trying to achieve some of their maritime and strategic games without going, you know, full hilt, you know, overlord style into Taiwan. Mm-hmm. But so far, we've done a game of uh, tactical combat Middle East. We've taken uh, that fourth edition Panzer Leader. We've adapted it to the Pacific armies that we see. Uh, we've done the research. We've seen what these actually, you know, the kind of weapons and equipment and TOEs that they have over there, order of, orders of battle as well. And we've put uh, PLA and uh, Navy Marine Forces up against a, uh, a group of, uh, well, Taiwanese defenders. And then as the Americans are landing and the Japanese are with the 42nd Rapid Deployment Brigade, elements thereof. So they were able to send some forces in there. But again, their diet in Tokyo was still arguing the matter. South Korea can't send anything because obviously if China invaded Taiwan, you can bet the situation on the 38th parallel in Korea would be just a little tense. Yeah, think so? So, yeah, South, Republic of Korea is not terribly... Uh, you know, it doesn't doesn't have a whole lot of leeway when it comes to how much stuff they would like to send. Right. And if the if the uh, if the performance of their troops in Vietnam, everyone talks about the Australians. If the if the performance of Republic of Korea forces is any indication in Vietnam, there are at least some Korean units that would love to deploy down here into Korea. Uh, into, sorry, into Taiwan in this kind of situation, and then watch out. Yeah, I think I think one of the reasons you don't see a lot of Koreans represented in Vietnam War games and movies is that sometimes they went a little overboard, <laughs> to put it lightly. <laughs> I mean, holy shit, those guys are. If you ever met some of the people in the Republic of Korea military, uh, especially the Marines, uh, we used to do some some little like exchange programs or whatever. Brock mm-hmm. Marines are just off off the hook, man. Those guys are nuts. Yeah, uh, we, uh, make, we 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 had some some in a politics. We we had some some rock marines in the uh, when I was with the 25th ID in Hawaii uh, on the exchange program and yeah you, Jim you are not kidding yeah. those dudes 
I mean, they make we, they, they they make us look sane. Their their NCOs <laughs> would yeah, their NCOs would run at the back of their their formation. If somebody fell out, they literally had like a cane stick and they just beat their ass until <laughs> they got back in there. I mean, it was rough, and that's what so, they did in front of us. No, yeah, they are. Like I said, they, there are. At the, at the peak of the deployment, there were like 600,000 Americans uh, in Vietnam, something like that. Um, Australians, New Zealanders, New Zealand had a couple hundred, Australia had a couple thousand. There was like one, one in a one in a hundred, one in a thousand, something like that. But like, then of course, was South South Vietnamese. Some of them were actually okay. Uh, most of them were were kind of bad um, as far as quality of troops go. But there's like. At least at any given time, up to uh, I think it was you know I, I can't remember the number, and someone will just correct me in the comments. So there were there were there were like ten times as many uh, South Koreans in Vietnam at any given time than there were ever you know Australians and, and New Zealanders. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because a lot of people who like to war game are in Great Britain, and there were no British units. Britain was not involved in the Vietnam War, even though some people will try and tell you that they were. They were not. And I think Australia is kind of the closest they can get. And of course, some of these companies like uh, Battlefront are actually, I think Battlefront's located in New Zealand. Yeah. If memory serves. So there's a little bit of historical uh, bias as far as the, 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 the scope of the role. We're getting a little off topic here, but no, go ahead. I guess what I'm, try- I guess what I'm trying to say Wait, is. Jim, do I need your intro for your, your, your stories? Do you need your intro? No, I, because I'm almost done. <laughs> <laughs> At least on this one, um, the, the the general point is just that the, the, the South Koreans, if they ever get into a war, just watch out. Um, they were ten times the troop levels were easily ten to twelve times what we see with troops or with nations like um, Australia and New Zealand, and yet you never hear about it. I find that suspicious. And then you actually start to re- if you got help, if you can actually find a source, you actually start reading about what. Uh, you know, Republic of Korea Army Rock Marines were actually doing in in Vietnam. It's like, oh, maybe that's why not too many people talk about it. Holy crap, guys! Just hey, take it down a notch or three. God damn. <laughs> um, yeah, they got they got they got kind of crazy over there. So maybe if this came, uh, back to our topic, uh, uh, Red Dragon twenty twenty eight. Maybe if we get if if it continues to find support and people still want to try it. Um, we'll get Republic of Korea involved. But so far, we're not, and that's the reason why. We've got Japan in there, we've got Taiwan in there, we've got the United States, and of course we've got China. Yeah. And it was a, it was a long climb at first. Um, a couple of Saturdays ago, it was like a, it was like a nice 18-hour day because um, I basically had to build four armies all at once uh, as far as you know that, that first big Panzer Leader game. Um, that game is now in progress. Uh, we had a, a great stream with Damon. Uh, great, one of our leading community members, Damon, who is um, don't don't laugh. He might actually win a Panzer Leader game for once. Good to go, Damon. <laughs> <you know? laughs> um, uh, here we go. He wins lots of games. It's just usually not Panzer Leader, but I think he's going to win this one. I'm almost nice. positive. Nice. But we only got halfway through it. We got turns one through five, and uh, I was just going to call. I was just going to you know concede and say, you know what? I, th- I think you've got this one. He was like, "No, I want to finish this. So we're going to finish. Yeah, we're going to finish that game tomorrow, and then in between that, we also did some Air Force action uh-huh. uh, with uh, with those J twenty Jengdu's, those Jengdu J twenty Greater Dragons, um, some Chinese uh, uh, built under license uh, flankers, uh, formerly of the Soviet and later Russian Air Force, 
against, uh, yeah, our F-35 and F-22s. F-35s for the Navy, F-22 Raptors from the Air Force. And we had a, um, a nice little dogfight. Actually, a big dogfight. We had 10 aircraft in the sky all at once. I think wow. I kind of went overboard on that one. Yeah, because I wanted to have, I couldn't make up my mind between F-35s and F-22s. Uh-huh. So I decided to have both of them. <laughs> Fighters always fly in pairs. That uh-huh. makes the American minimum four aircraft. Yeah. Because, again, I want to have both. I should have just shut up, sat down, and picked one. But, nope, I had to have both. And once you have four American aircraft, you have to have at least six Chinese aircraft, if not eight. Yeah. So the game got out of, out of hand as far as the scope went pretty quickly. But we had a great stream, a great result. Um, yeah, and actually learned a little bit about, uh, about how these aircraft actually operate, the strengths and weaknesses of these four different types and the missiles and so on and so forth. Air War C-21 is great at that. It's one of those... It really does a good job at not only teaching you which aircraft would probably win in a given dogfight under certain circumstances, but why. Mm-hmm. And it, it doesn't like beat you over the head with special rules like some other games I won't mention. But as you actually play through it a couple of times, we saw this in our Falklands game, uh, Bill, is pretty soon you realize, oh, because I can't do that. that well, no wonder the, the British won all those dogfights in 82, or no wonder the Argentinians could, you know, had this problem. And because it happens organically in the game. Yeah. And you kind of kind of learn it for yourself. So, yeah, it's uh, to wrap up. It's as far as what I've been doing with hobby. It's been a lot of, uh, it's been a lot of, uh, you know, World War Three in the Western Pacific because I mean we've all done Team Yankee to death by this point. Mm-hmm. Also, 1980s that, that shit isn't going to happen again. The closest we're going to get to Team Yankee nowadays is some nonsense in the Ukraine, and we've done that as well at least twice. Um, so yeah, we're just you know looking to try out different things and make sure that our community doesn't get bored. So yeah. you know that's that's pretty much the, the thought behind uh, Red Dragon uh, 2028. Nice, excellent, nice work. Uh, Marty, have you done any hobby this week? So, uh, I did do a little, uh, didn't, didn't get the, didn't get a a ton of stuff done, but I, I finished, uh, my walkers from dust. The the walkers themselves were done. I had to finish the pilot. Uh, so I painted them. So, uh, uh, I got three of those guys all done. I'm pretty happy with them. Uh, I, uh, then, uh, Went back and started uh, working on the guys that we uh, started on the live stream. Uh-huh. So, because uh, I had just gotten some basic base coat down. And uh, TVH, if I don't have a really bright light and probably wearing my magnification, uh, you know, geek glasses, uh, I can't see shit. Damn, you're old. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's rough. So I'm like, wow, I missed a lot on those guys. <laughs> <laughs> So, so I cleaned them up, and uh, I've got, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six of those dudes. So I think it's the uh, it's the LMG squad and then the uh, IED emplacers that uh, that I was working on last Wednesday that uh, are now pretty much base-coded. Gotcha. So, and then uh, I also uh, have been slowly working on a uh, – uh, Desert Scorpions Jeep for dust. So gotcha. got it, got him all base coated and now, now I'm starting to do the pieces, parts and whatnot. So coming along slowly, but surely. Oh, I also, uh, so I have a Spectre miniatures, um, one of their like limited edition covert boxes from like a year and a half ago. Uh-huh. Uh, and I was cleaning up and I'm like, Holy crap. I can't believe I never got these guys out. 
so uh, I primed all them uh, and uh, kind of doing working inside out. Uh, I have their uh, their skin tones all all put on. So those are some some really cool looking figures. So yeah, I'm like yeah, I gotta get those on the table somewhere. What the hell? So yeah, that's bright lights and, and magnifying glass and magnifying glasses. Uh, is there anything more depressing, guys? Maybe you can relate. You paint up a miniature, you think it looks pretty good, and you look over, you're like, hey, that doesn't look too bad. In fact, I'm so proud of that, I'm going to take a photo of it and put it up on a site somewhere. Oh, yeah. You take a picture in like a 5-meg camera, and then it goes up on like a 30-inch monitor, and you're like, oh, my God, I must right. be blind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I can wholeheartedly relate to that experience. <laughs> that's, that's not fun. And, and then like, you're writing in the comments, you're like, this looks much better in person, trust me. Yeah. Or God forbid you're going into Photoshop and you're like cheat fixing it in Photoshop. You're like, oh, no, that didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody saw that. I'm, I'm like, hey, hey, dude, these, I, I'm, I'm not a competition painter. These are my little toys I push around the table. <laughs> like yeah. them or don't. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that as well. Like, um, you know, I, I'll be painting something. And I'm like, yeah, this is really good. And I lay it down. Then I go to photograph it. I'm like, crap, I totally missed the underside of his arm. How did I do that? And so, you know, pictures... Do not lie, and pictures will show your mistakes bright and glaringly for everybody to see. So, although high def cameras are are a, are a cruel mistress sometimes, yeah. but it can be a good way to critique your own work, kind of thing. You know, before you put it on the interwebs, just take the picture and look at it. That's <laughs> true. It is. You know, I mean, uh, I I really do that nowadays. If I'm really working on something that you know I want. Like, uh, Marty, have you seen the thing? Is it Dragonfall is going to come? They got their painting competition. I'm seriously thinking about entering it this year. I, I, Who, I got to find the right model though. Um, who, who's, the, who's this? Dragonfall. They have it. You know, it's every fall. It's a convention. I think they're having it in Lake Geneva this year, of all places. Oh um, yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah. think uh, the HMS. Believe it or not, the HMS, uh, HMGS Midwest guys. I think actually. Or maybe it was just Kevin Kabai. Yeah. Because I think he does uh, some of the geekery there as well as historical. Yeah. So, um, anyway, so, you know, using a camera can help in stages. You know, like you, you prime or you, you do your base, uh, then you can use a camera to really look to see did I get the right coverage? Did I get, you know, so you can use it as a tool, um, you know, if you if you really want to. So that's awesome. So cool. Uh, for me, honestly, this week there has been no time for hobby. It's literally get up at five in the morning, go to work, get home about seven, eight o'clock, eat and sit for an hour and then go to bed, you know, and then do it again the next day. Um, so the other day I worked till 1 a.m. and, you know, so it's been crazy. All right. So Great. let's get out of the depressing shit and uh, let's move on to some cool stuff. Marty, what do you got for news? I know your news is going to be a little light this week, understandably, uh, um, but hit it, it. It is. However, uh, I do have some really good stuff. So uh, to continue with the theme of depressing, uh, for those of you who know who Joe Galloway is, the yeah. uh, the famed uh, uh, war correspondent, Joe passed away this week at age 79. Yeah. Uh, so uh, our, our hats off to him. You know, anyone that's seen uh, the movie uh, uh, We Were Soldiers, you, you'll recall the, the Galloway character in there, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, that wasn't his, uh, his only gig. He, he had a long and storied career, uh, 
from all reports, he was an awesome guy. Uh, so uh, our hats off to uh, Mr. Galloway and our condolences uh, to his friends and family. All right, moving on. Uh, Rubicon Models is uh, putting together a Vietnam game. Uh, they've got yes. their alpha rules together. Uh, yep. Chris Long turned me on to that, uh, and I, I started looking at that a little bit. And yep, man, that's a rabbit hole you can go down. So, uh, yeah, so now I'm in the special Facebook group <laughs> for the rule set because <laughs> they're in, the, in development. Uh, there's not a hard timeline on anything, but uh, uh, they do have a video out where uh, they talk about the, the big concepts and some of the mechanics and whatnot, and they're going to further flesh that out in development as they go into uh, into beta testing and then into eventual legit play testing. So uh, excited to see what comes out there. And they have some awesome models to go along with that stuff. So if Vietnam's your jam, uh, check out Rubicon Models. Yes, most definitely. And then yeah, finally. Actually, we're going to have, it, uh, we're going to set up an interview with him uh, to talk about that. Uh, Chris has been reaching out to him and yeah. I believe he's interested in uh, coming on and talking about it and then talking yeah. about the uh, alpha play and all that. So uh, look for yeah, that Yeah, that would be exciting. And then uh, my final my final piece is probably my favorite piece, uh, Adepticon 2022. Yeah. So finally, we're, we're, we're going to have our Adepticon back. I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, they announced uh, the venues. So they're going to be uh, over at the Schomburg Renaissance Convention Center, uh, where they uh, have been. But they have a off-site location at the Hyatt Regency Schomburg, which is it's right down the road. It's like three minutes, five minutes, whatever. It's super close by. Um, so they're going to, uh, it'll be a, a split, excuse me, a split venue. Uh, so they're going to set up uh, Adepticon Core over at the uh, Schomburg Renaissance Center. And then uh, they're calling the uh, Hyatt Regency uh, the outer rim, and it looks like uh, the historical stuff will probably be over at uh, uh, the Hyatt Regency. From the comments that I see on the Adepticon page, right? So, uh, but they have uh, they've released uh, uh, information on being able to get your rooms reserved starting on the twenty fourth of this month, I believe. Question mark? Yeah, but uh, yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, Tuesday the twenty fourth. There we go. Uh, you know, uh, rooms are one hundred and thirty, one hundred and thirty five bucks uh, a night, depending on which hotel you're staying at. And you can uh, find and you can uh, cheaper your rooms further away from the convention. Those are just the convention it, block rooms. Yeah, if you want the, if you want to be there on site, you know that's where you go. But uh, yeah, there there are a, a bunch of other places that are within ten or fifteen minutes as well. Yeah. So we're, if you live in South Florida, those are cheap hotel rooms. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> I mean, really, that's not a bad rate for uh, for around here. No, it's not. No. I mean that's that's a pretty that's a pretty good rate. Yeah. Especially at a convention. So so uh, so that's coming. Uh, pretty excited. Uh, they haven't put together uh, their their lineup yet. They haven't published any of that stuff. Uh, but. Uh, I know that there are many folks who are super excited to to see that convention come back. Uh, I being one, so yeah, it'll be look forward to, to being able to share more news as it becomes available. Uh, they have not opened up uh, registration itself yet. Uh, they did comment that uh, they expected prices to remain on par with what it's been in uh, in the past. Yeah. So 
I think that was 30 or 40 bucks for your regular registration plus then whatever events or uh, classes or whatever you wanted to go to. And then they have a higher tier, you know, like VIP ones and all right. that jazz as well, where you get like the super swag bag and yeah. that jazz. So, I so, mean, you can actually attend for free, but you can't really participate in anything. It's basically you can come in and look around. You can't shop. Um, you can't participate in any games. So if you want to act, be an active participant, you have to add, purchase a uh, badge. So um, just to let you know as well. So Yeah, and like I said, I, I, I don't remember what the, the price on the badges was, but it's not it's not, it's not terribly expensive. No. I mean, it's it's like... 30 bucks, 40 bucks for the weekend yeah. for just a regular badge. And that'll get you into the vendor hall and get you shopping and whatnot. And then if you, you know, there's other events that you want to go to, I will tell you based on my own experience, uh -huh. if there are, if there are things that you want to go to, as soon as they publish their, their, uh, uh, events, jump on it. Cause that stuff yes. fills up fast. Yeah. It, it's, it's like, uh, any big game convention like Gen Con, as soon as the uh, event list posts for sign up, it's usually sold out within minutes. You know, so um, yeah. So if you if you you know if you've got your heart set on uh, like I don't know learning how to paint or model from a particular person, and they're and they're running a, a workshop there, sign up for that ASAP. Yep. So my goal yep. is for twenty twenty three. I know this is you know we're talking twenty two, but I would like to run a seminar and a workshop. Um, at Adepticon, so we shall see. We shall see. Cool. Um, I do have some news as well, Marty. Uh, okay, it was please. announced yesterday. Um, for everybody out there who's been in miniature gaming, uh, modeling for a while, you probably have heard of Secret Weapon Miniatures. Uh, they have announced they have a line of paints and terrain and resin terrain. They had some really cool stuff. Uh, unfortunately, they announced yesterday, after 12 years of being in business, they are shutting their doors. Um, oh. So uh, they are their website is currently down. It'll come back up around the 23rd for a clearance sale. Once everything's gone, it's gone, and um, you know they're leaving the business, which is sad because they've always been a big participant in Adepticon. Um, and uh, they have really good paints and terrain pieces and bases and all kinds of stuff. So uh, very sad to hear another one, um, you know, is going down partially due to COVID. So, um, yeah. Uh, another bit of news. I am trying to reach out to the person I received the entire uh, the general collection from. That's the old Avalon Hill magazine. So to get permission or work out a deal where we can make accessible on our new website coming every issue of the Avalon Hill, the general that was the, uh, I believe it was a monthly gym monthly publication where they talked about all different kinds of games and scenarios. And they have like advanced squad leader scenarios in there and other things. So uh, I'm hoping to have a section uh, on the website where you'll have full access to every issue of Avalon Hills, the general. Uh, I, um, I think it, it was either monthly or quarterly. Uh, I can actually look that up. But yeah. I have a copy right here. I, I was looking at the very last issue. Let me see if I can get to the cover page. Um, I'll tell you what it says. 
Come on. I, I honestly don't remember. I'm not. I'm not contesting you. Yeah. No. 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 You're right. I'm just. Uh, it says volume thirty-two, number three. Uh, doesn't say. I, I'm gonna go with it's probably quarterly. At least at the end, it was. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Honestly, don't know. Uh, let's see. Our subscription two years bi monthly. Publication is okay. bi monthly with mailings made close to beginning of January, March, May, July, September, November. All ad- yeah, bi monthly. Yep. So there you go. Turns out it's neither monthly nor quarterly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, monthly sounded a little a little yeah. frequent. I was like, maybe it was. I can't remember, but yeah. bi monthly. Yeah, that that sounds right. So yeah, um, for anybody who has a love for classic wargaming at its finest. The golden age of wargaming that was a long, long time ago. So all you people who are getting your torches and pickaxes ready to come storm my house because I said it, the finest era of wargaming. On that hill, you and I I stand shoulder to shoulder. We will die on that hill, my friend. We will die on that hill. Because it, would it, that be Avalon Hill? Oh, I was waiting for one of you guys to say it. I thought you set it up for purpose. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so yeah, if you now, to, to, in all fairness to, to modern to, to, to today's war games, there are a few companies, GMT decision games. There are a few companies that keep the torch going. Yeah, yeah. Um, the components are definitely a lot better. I oh, bought yeah. a modern uh, hex encounter game. I picked up the the stupid uh, the, the, the punch sheet, and the counters like fell out of the punch sheet without me barely looking at them. Perfectly smooth on the first try. Uh, you've probably done this, uh, Bill, where you sit down with a pair of nail clippers on those old Avalon Hill games from 1972 or whatever, and you have to spend three hours like clipping the corners. I do not clip. I am not a clipper. I refuse oh, to clip. No, I am a hard. See, now all of a sudden we disagree. I am a hardcore clipper. No, yeah, my my old school Panzer Leader counters are beautiful, and they don't hang up. You can put them all in this in the hex. You can stack them. You can overrun. You can cat attack, and you never have the the friggin' counters hooking into each other and, and dragging each other around the table. Yeah, nope, 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 nope. I, nope. I, the only thing I will admit to is if I see that I hate to use the word hanging Chad, but that little. Dimple for, yep. you know, I will smooth that out, you know, trim it off. I will not clip corners. You know how you can buy those clippers, you know, that thing you put your your uh, counter in, you can clip them. You know, it looks like uh, specially designed clippers. People, I, oh, on some, I, some of the people. I literally just use a, a pair of nail clippers. Well, they do that, but they now have these things where you can put your piece in there. It aligns it perfectly. You snap it. It, you know, makes this perfect cut and blah, 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 blah. And people spend hours doing this. And I'm like, are you well, freaking serious? I've seen people overdo it where your counters are basically octagons by the time they're done. <laughs> they look like stop signs. I'm like, no, you, you clip too much off the corners. You but just I, a little tiny bit so that that hanging chat is not an issue. I have actually seen somebody go out of their way to make their counters hexagons. So, you know, the, the facing, I don't know if it was facing base, they decided to do this. So, you know, they would go into a hex, and they were hexagon-shaped. You know, I don't know how they... That's interesting. And I'm like, come on. You know, I I understand why people do it, especially the older stuff, because the paper will start to separate if you don't, you know. But I don't know. To me, 
I, I really try and keep them as close to original as possible. Um, but, you know, to be honest with you, I don't play with my classic games as much as you do probably, so I can understand doing it. I just, I don't know. To me, it just, I don't know, it seems blasphemy or something. I don't know. Anyway. Well, I, I just I just do it because you're a purist. I the am counters, a purist. The counters are, are, are they, they, they want, especially in tactical games, not so much operational games where the whole thing is basically a unit symbol and three numbers. Yeah. But in, 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 in tactical games, there's usually a picture of the miniature. And that's anything from Alexander the Great through Napoleonics to today, because this thing goes across all periods. And so, like Napoleonics, they have like the actual figure of the guy and the colors, and it's got to be the right colors on the regiment. We all know about Napoleonics. Yeah. Alexander, uh, classical history, you know, Greeks, Romans, uh, medievals. They want to put as much art as they can on the counter, especially with more modern uh, printing techniques. Not so much, you know, the old Panzer leader days. When you've got a little black silhouette, that was all you got. Uh-huh. But on top of that, um, so that it takes up real estate on the counter. You, it's a five-eighths of an inch counter. There's not a lot of space. It's less than a square inch. you got to put a bunch of numbers on there, a weapons class, a unit type, a serial number back in those days. Yeah. And, um, man, you know, if, if it's basically the counter's got to be as big as it can so that it can fit all that information on there as best as, as, best as it can. Meanwhile, they're sending out this hex board. And the hex board has to have the hexes. You have to have as many hexes as possible in order to get the best movement and the best ranges and the best scales and all that stuff like that. But they're limited in the size of those of the hex that they can send you because it's a physical set that has to fit in a box. It's usually an, uh, an 8 by 10 box. So the counters, long story short, too late, are <laughs> barely fitting in the counter. Yeah. And if you've got those hanging chads on there, especially if it's a high-density game like Panzer Leader where you can have like seven counters and a hex between, okay, the stacking limit is four. One of them is carrying a passenger unit. Some of them are spotted. One of them took opportunity fire. One of them's disrupted. One of them's disabled. One of them's – before you know it, you've got like a little poker stack in that hex. Yeah. And then they get overrun by another poker stack, and then this other guy comes in. And on an important part of a pendulum leader board, you can have like 20 counters in like four or five hexes. And then to try to maneuver, and oh, God, what was the fifth counter down there? I used to get old mechanical pencils and put some needed eraser on the tip so I could like literally like blue tack my way through a stack, like put my, my blue tack on the counter and like literally lift it up without having to get my fingers in there. Um, yeah, so when I play digitally, you'll see that my counters are kind of small and my hexes are kind of big. I'm a fan of nice big hexes and not quite so big counters. So you have that, that finger room in, mm-hmm. in your, in, in your board. and that was just part of it. It was just, you know, clipping off the, the corners of those counters. Yeah, no, I get it. I mean, obviously there's, you know, there's a valid reason for, it. I just, to me, it just, uh, I don't know, you know, it, to each their own. Um, but what I feel the greatest achievement of having these games is that we're preserving gaming history, gaming legend, whatever. A, a company that back in its day, what, what, you know, it was the GW of wargaming back in the day, you know? Um, well, 50s, 60s, and 70s. Yeah. Avalon Hill, and and I won't even say, like, it's sister companies, because really there weren't. I mean, they got some in the 70s and 80s, SSI, SPI. 3M. Remember 3M games? Yep. But back then, it was really just, yeah. It was really just Avalon Hill and maybe a, maybe one or two others. They more I know they didn't invent war games, so everyone just relax. But they kind of invented 
um, the idea of tactical wargaming for the average person. Yeah. You could go into a bookstore, city, I'm, I'm looking at the box right now on my shelf. You can pick up a box of Panzer Blitz for like 10 bucks in those days and take it home and you are good to go for, I mean, technically a lifetime, but really several years yeah. of, of, of wargaming and you would never run out of stuff to do. Um, uh, tactics in 1954 was like, I guess you could almost call it like the world's first modern war game. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, diplomacy, destroying friendships since 1959, <laughs> uh, overlord battle of the bulge, 1962, these games, you know, these games were, were, were really, you know, the center of the market back in those days and they kind of got it started. And then from there you would eventually have, you know, it, it became acceptable and uh, widespread enough where from that garden, if you want to call it, from that yeah. soil, you would spring new things like Dragon Quest, which yes. is where Gary Gygax stole D&D from. I said it. I don't care. I regret nothing. <laughs> um, he bought that company, took it apart uh, because he didn't want to compete with it anymore. Um, uh, yeah. So there's TSR. There's, there's, there's Dungeons and Dragons and literally everything flows from there. And, you know, eventually GW popped up. I think GW got started in the, in the, in the 70s. Yeah, I think late 70s, I think it was. Yeah, uh, 70s, and they, they started off with uh, uh, not even uh, Warhammer. They started off with, uh, I think, some Lord of the Rings stuff. Something like that. And yeah, then, some fantasy uh, yeah. stuff. Yeah, and then uh, I think I think 40K kind of got or Warhammer, 40K, whatever you want to call it, sort of got started in, uh, in like, 84. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah, it was, like, the same time that... Um, the same time Battletech was getting going, 1984, almost the exact same year. So yeah, so yeah, yeah. I mean, the tactics was 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 kicking ass in 1954 with with tactics, and technically that was the sequel. So I don't even know when the first tactics came out. But tactics two came out in 1954. You buy a box, you set up a war game. It wasn't chess. It wasn't abstract. It was a war game, complete with weather, nuclear weapons, supply, specialized troops for mountains, airborne, marine. Um, and yet it was simple enough to where the average person could get it because there were, they were no experienced war gamers. I mean, there were always war gamers. There were guys painting Napoleonics in their basement mm-hmm. since God, and, you know, Christ was a corporal. <laughs> um, but they weren't like out in the open. They weren't out in the daylight. It was like, oh, I know this weird guy that lives on the end of the street. He paints his little toy soldiers. Back then they made them out of lead and God knows what. You know, <laughs> I, I think that, I, I think that was Bill's dad. Yeah, pretty yeah. Much. that was my dad. My dad and my uncle. Yeah, but your dad and uncle got into all these Avalon Hill games too. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. I can. I mean, I know. I found at my grandpa's house when he's moving back to Tennessee from Chicago. You know, up in the attic, I remember finding a couple boxes of like some, for lack of a better word, toy soldiers that my dad had as a kid that they played. You know, my uncle lived down the street. They all lived on the same block. This is back in the day when everybody lived on the same block, and uh, you know they would get together and war game even when they were kids, and then. When I was a kid, I remember they would have a Saturday where we'd go to my uncle's house or that he would come to our house and they would spend all morning setting up Panzer Blitz or Panzer Leader or whatever Evelyn Hill game, you know, based on whatever uh, scenario they were playing. It would take them a couple hours to sort the pieces and, you know, get them all set up and then, then they would start playing. So, I mean, to me, it wasn't just the gameplay. It was the whole... um the whole event, you know, the whole thing, as far as, you know, we're going to, this is what we're going to play today. This is, you know, it was that whole thing. It was just a very social thing. 
you know, my dad and uncle would always jaw back and forth. And then, you know, I would, you know, I was seven, eight, nine, you know, and they would let me roll the dice once in a while or, you know, help move some pieces. And, but, but I tell you what, man, when things got serious, kids don't talk, you know, they're in, they're in the heat of the battle. You just sit there and watch. So, you know, um, yeah, yeah. Good memories, good memories. And you know what? For somebody who's never played a Hex Encounter game, I think you're missing out on on a really great experience, um, especially if it's a well-done game. You know, I did not know as a kid and even as a young adult that a lot of those, I think is it Panzer, a lot of the Avalon Hill games, uh, especially the bigger games, the, you know, uh, Blitz and Leader, as you were saying, the serial numbers on the chip, I did not know those were serial numbers to identify each unit individually. That yeah, I, that, I, that was important for play-by-mail games. Yeah. So, you know, back, back in that back in that dark era. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's how in depth those games got because I remember my dad and uncle, they would, you know, build their, you know, what was it, battalions, brigades, whatever the level is, and they would write down all their serial numbers. So, you know, those guys, okay, this is this, you know, and it, I mean, they got pretty crazy about it. So, it, it was pretty cool. So, yeah, if you guys have not played them, uh, I'm not saying go out and buy yourself a copy of Panzer Blitz or Panzer Leader. You should. Every competent wargamer should own at least one copy of one of those games. Or, to Jim's opinion, probably Arab-Israeli Roars, um, you know, because um, a yeah, more refined now, version. But the only yeah, the, the rules are better. Um, the only issue with those old games is, again, these games came out in the 70s with publishing and printing technology of the 70s. Um, I open up an old box of uh, my actual box of complete with little baggies of counters from the yeah. 1970s, um, like Arab Israeli war games or the Panzer leader games. And I'm like, Oh, I mean, the, the nostalgia is still there, but those counters really are garbage. I mean, <laughs> they're, they're so bad. Um, it's, Compared it's to literally today's, like a little, yeah. yeah. I mean, physical counters or whatever. Um, but that's, that's why we do what we do on our, on our Sundays. That's why we do what we do tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow we're going to be playing Panzer Leader, albeit fourth edition. Um, so it's it's more of a game that grew out of Panzer Leader, but we're playing with with counters that I designed two weeks ago. Um, you know, nice, big, rich, colorful counters. Uh, you know, the best thing that you know Photoshop and Adobe Illustrator in twenty twenty one can do. Um, but we're still using those old rules because, God damn it, they don't write rules like that anymore. The stuff they pump out nowadays. And it's not even really the gaming company's fault. So when I say this, I'm not shitting on modern game companies. Modern game companies have to make money, and the average attention span of your average gamer is like one-fifth what it used to be because of Twitter, social media, YouTube, Netflix, you know, and they have to be able to sell those games. As much as we like to talk about these old games, and God knows we do, um, if you actually tried to build one of these games and take it to market, you would fall on your face, you know, faster than you know, it wouldn't you, you wouldn't make any money um because no one would buy it so it's it's kind of sad um but that's the reason why a lot of companies aren't making games like this anymore so i do get it yeah but at the same time yeah those games back then had rules that made sense they had rule books i mean we, we were talking about rubicon getting started with their vietnam set um okay no worries so we um, we played Valor and Victory all the time, me and uh, my friends here locally. And then I was like, you know what? This would be really cool if we did this in Vietnam. Oh, yeah. We can just put M60s in the game and boom, we got it. 
no, because making a Vietnam game out of a World War II game is a little more complicated than adding M60s. <laughs> and this is kind of goes back to what we saw with some of the bolt action stuff. They were going to, you know, they're making a Vietnam game and there's a lot more to it. And then there's more to it. And there's more to it. And then there's more to it. And eventually that's where Valor and Victory Modern Edition came from or mm-hmm. Modern Expansion came from. Just trying to make a system big enough to where it would fit all the changes you really have to do to do Vietnam correctly. Right. And, um, then I wrote the rule book for it. And then people were like, Oh my God, this rule book's amazing. I'm like, this rule book is almost copy pasted. At least the format is copy pasted from Barry Doyle's original, you know, 2007 Valor and Victory. Cause Barry Doyle gets it. He basically copy pasted his format from advanced squad leader. As far as how the book is written out, how it's okay. This is rule number 10. Here's rule 10.1. Here's rules 10.2. Here's rule 10.3. There's a footnote to rule 10.3 called 10.3.1, 10.3.12, 2.0, you know, yeah. and it, it's, it's, it's written like a legal document. Dark star is written like that. And people are like, Oh my God, how did you write this rule book? I'm like, no, this is the way you write a rule book. A rule book is not eight pages of mostly pictures and fluff that, you know, gets sent out for free and, you know, here you go, just buy our miniatures. You know, most, most rule books nowadays are, are pretty much commercials for miniatures. Yes. Buy our miniatures because that's where they make their money. And I get right. it. But at the same time, the rules today are trash. I mean, mostly. I'm talking about, the, you know, a lot of people. There are some great books out there. Um, uh, battle, not battle, uh, sorry, uh, battle group books are amazing. Mm-hmm. Their rule books are, ab- they're a little expensive, but they're worth it. Battle group rule books are amazing. So there are exceptions. I'm not painting with too broad a brush, I hope. Um, but yeah, some of the rule books today are just like, first of all, they're not books, they're like booklets. Like here, here you go. You're lucky if you get a side saddle stitch, you know, with like four or five pages of rules and then some nice pictures and some fluff. I don't want your fluff. I want rules that make sense. Right. Because, I mean, maybe you guys agree with me, maybe not. I don't want to ramble too long. But the simpler the rule set is, Oh, we want our rules to be simple and accessible. Well, guess what, Einstein? The simpler your rules are, the more complicated your games are going to be because you don't take time to spell out what's actually going on. And um, you, know, you have a nice you know, three or four page rule book. I won't mention games that have done this, but there was one rule book that went down to what was it, two pages? Two that pages. Probably know what yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah. How many arguments? How many fist fights? How many thrown miniatures around the convention floor? <laughs> because there are no rules. It's pretty much just, hey, have fun, buy our miniatures. Yeah. Uh, and that sounds great in, 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 in theory. Yo, it's all just to have fun and have a relaxing day with friends. No, until you actually start chucking dice. And then you realize that you or the game designers have no idea what the hell's going on. And the game breaks down into an argument or a or three up, four up shouting match or whatever. You know mm-hmm. what? Yeah, give me a damn rule book. Um, so yeah, the physical, uh, the physical counters, the physical uh, components. God knows the miniatures are a lot better than they used to be. The paints are better, the hobby's better. So I think I understand what people are talking about when they say you know the games are better now than they ever have been. Right. But the rules, the rules, no, not the rules. What we need to do is we need to marry up modern components with old school rules. I think will be you know in, in a good place, which is kind of what we try and do on the weekends, on the weekend games. Mm-hmm. New components, internet gaming. I game with people on three different continents every week, and old school rules with new new tools, new uh, new new components, new game boards, new counters, and uh, it works great. Yeah, yeah. I, it, the nice thing about those kind of games is storage is not a typical issue because you got the whole game 
pieces, everything, maps, all in a box, right? So if you have one shelf somewhere, you can dedicate to several games. You know, now granted, does it ha- really allay the hobby like it miniatures do? Mm, probably not. But um, no. there are people who their entire hobby is designing game pieces. You know, and um, I've seen it. You know, there's a couple Facebook groups where you know it's dedicated to uh, hex encounter games, and people will redesign. You know, or custom design pieces for certain games. You know, come looks- to my house. Uh- Come to my house any given Saturday. <laughs> You'll see what I'm doing for eight hours. Right. <laughs> you know, and then there's people, oh, you can't do that. That's a copyright infringement. Uh, I don't know. I mean, does Avalon Hill slash Hasbro slash Wizards of the Coast really care at this point, you know, for some of these old games that they're not even publishing anymore or even have any aspiration to publish that don't sell? You know, who knows? Um Technically, Multiman Publishing owns the rule set, and there are other companies that publish their own rule sets and charge money. Yeah, and they still do it. So I don't think I don't think you know. Yeah. So I mean, it's a hobby within its own hobby. So whether it's miniatures based, hex encounter based, whatever, um, you know, as long as it gets you playing a game and you know you enjoy it and you can spend time with people or solo if you need to, um, so much the better, right? So. Um, yeah, and, and just a quick clarification in case anyone gets the wrong idea. When we say old games, we mean old games. We're not talking about hex encounter games are better than miniature games. Right. I'm saying old rule sets are better than newer rule sets, and I'm including miniatures in that. Old school GHQ micro armor, six millimeter, you know, is, I mean, they need to update their orders of battle. There's actually a conversation going on in our Discord about that. As far as, you know, these old ass busted, you know, they, they kind of stopped producing TOEs for armies in like Iraqi freedom, 2003. Mm-hmm. That's the most modern one they have on there. Well, just come out with some new ones so, so that we can do things like red dragon in, in you know, GHQ micro armor six mil. So it's not like we're just saying, Oh, hex encounter games are great back in the day and modern miniature games are terrible. We're saying that modern games just don't usually have the best rules. And even then I'm putting a huge usually on there because there are games like Valorant victory battle group, uh, there are some, you know, some great games out there. There are games I haven't tried, Skirmish Sangin and so on and so forth, uh, that are great, especially Skirmish stuff. Um, I'm just talking about the rules, the rule books, the rule sets uh, back in the day used to be, I think, I think, I think people put more effort into rule books in, in the old days. Because even books I read today, there's like typos in them and, and like blatant errors. Uh, I was doing Air War C21 last week with Bernard, and uh, I'm sorry, an F-35 carries one, one Sidewinder <laughs> pistol? How does that even possible? It, it has two. It, okay, if you want to say it carries two, first of all, that's not correct. But at one, it, it literally carries one on each wing or one in each weapons bay. How the hell do you carry one of anything in, 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 a, in a jet right. except a gun? Yeah. You know, it's just blatant errors. Um like bad. Hey, so I so I just had a thought thinking about the the old school uh, rule sets versus modern ones, and I think maybe uh, part of the the reason why the rules were written uh, with more detail and whatnot back then is they didn't have a YouTube t- tutorial that you could go to either. So you the only reference you had was the rule book itself. And maybe your buddy that's already played it before versus now you can go to all these places and 
social media and whatnot, and you can see a playthrough. You can see the game designer explain what their intent was, you know, things like that, where you didn't have that back then. Yeah, the best you had back then was an issue of, which is what we call a callback in the biz, an uh, issue of Avalon Hills uh, General Magazine. Yep, yep. <laughs> they might have an art if you were lucky, they'd have an article about it like six months later. Otherwise, yeah, you were out of gas. You had to figure it out for yourself. Well, yeah. The good old days. Well, you know what, though, Jim? I think you're bringing the good old days to the today's days. So, you know. Uh, God, God bless God bless the Internet. That's right. Right. Well, you know, because you've exposed a whole new generation to that kind of gaming that probably. We, we've got we've got a few converts. We've got yeah. some people who were only doing miniature game. And they're like, okay, you know, that a risky guy. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And now, you know, it's like, when are we playing again? When are we playing again? When are we, you know, yeah. Valor and Victory, Panzer Leader. Um, I mean, not many, but some, yep. We're going to bring it back eventually. Yeah, we're doing <laughs> it. You know, and there's some companies out there that are worth mentioning that still do a pretty good job of, um, you know, bringing Hex Encounter slash Chit. Oh, God. Yeah, you know, I, Worthington Publishing. I, I support yeah, Worthington I, Publishing like crazy. I, you know, pretty much any time they have a Kickstarter, if it's anything I'm interested in, I pretty much back it. You know, I've backed their uh the Custer's last stand um gmt is awesome gmt um was it decision games which one publishes the big pacific one the one i'm trying to get my hands on that's that's decision games yeah Yeah. so stop now (laughs) no i will play that game (laughs) i'm not saying anything bad about decision games that one game is madness it is huge um but hey go for it i i feel a challenge i have to get my hands on that game um if anything, so, all right, so, um, yeah, so, um, I wanted to, again, like I said in the beginning of the podcast, uh, I don't want to dive too deep into the politics and everything that's going on this week, and Marty's very close to this, um, the reason I'm bringing it up is because on the Spectre Miniatures Facebook page, uh, somebody put, how, Hey, are you guys already started um, playing scenarios based upon the events in Afghanistan, uh, like you know rescuing uh, VIPs or you know taking out uh, head honchos or whatever? And yeah, and I I think the I think that I got kicked off with it was a dude that just posted a photo of uh, like a Black Hawk extracting a team yeah. or something like that. Yeah. So you know, and you know, we are a big proponent on this on this podcast of. You know, I don't think anything outside of very rare circumstances is taboo. Um, I at this one though, I don't know if we don't let this one settle a little bit before we start playing it. Um, I'm not saying don't. I'm just saying should we let things pan out because it's so live, or do you say go for it? You know, I, I don't know. Uh, what do you guys think? Well, uh, you know, so so as somebody that. Uh, deployed to Afghanistan twice. Uh, I'm I'm currently trying to assist my interpreter get his family out of out of Kabul, uh, which is why I've been super busy this week. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, that's uh, something that is near and dear to my heart. Uh, I say game it. I, I I don't have any problem with with that. You know, I mean, if somebody is putting uh, you know some weird stupid spin on it. Then, then you're just an asshole and don't do that. Right. But I mean, uh, you know, as it turns out, history is history. Right. <laughs> it happened. 
exactly. you know, so uh, if that's something, you know, it, I, I don't see a difference other than uh, the time frame between gaming uh, something along those lines and what we did with 13 days to 13 hours. True. We, we, we used a historical situation. Uh, we changed one variable. Uh, and, and that was just the time that, you know, the guys launched, yep. you know, uh, and, and then we went with, you know, our rule set to play it out to see if history would have been different. Right. I, I don't have any beef with something like that going on. I think that's, that's total fair game. Uh, on the other hand, I can also tell you, uh, you know, this is a, it's an issue that affects a lot of people, particularly veterans that serve there. Uh, in uh, some very dark ways, you know. There's there's a lot of a lot of strong dudes that that I know that uh, I've been on the phone with uh, this week as well that are you know devastated by w- what has happened and uh, what you know what the you know the events that that have occurred. Yeah. Uh, so you know one one <laughs> kind of kind of be sensitive to to that. You know, understand that there's some folks coming at it from that angle. Uh, but, uh, you know, in general, uh, have, have at it, you know, uh, it, we've had this conversation before. I think it's kind of a know your audience here, sure. uh, you know, as far as, uh, who you're, uh, you know, talking to or, uh, looking to, to play that, play off that kind of scenario, yep. you know, per- personally, <laughs> I don't mean that it sounded sensitive, but personally, I think I need this means I need more Taliban guys. <laughs> we got a lot so of I, Taliban guys, don't we? I, I do, I do. But I, uh, you know. I actually have a, quite a few that Gaz sent me from uh, Courage and Contact from White Dragon Miniatures. Uh, I got guys with motorcycles and all Ooh, that crap, those so. are some nice. Those are some nice figures yeah, too. I, I got several boxes that we need to paint up, so we should do that on yeah. a Wednesday night um, or a, another Saturday Night Live. And thank you to everybody yeah. who joined us for Saturday Night Live. Um, yeah, that was that was a good time. Yeah, it was really good times, and I uh, appreciate Don being with us. You know, uh, we had a good time. Don is not, Don is now a super fan of contrast paint. Yes. So. <laughs> yes, little She's did like, we know. I should, should have brought more <laughs> more figures. So awesome. Um, all right, so we're gonna leave that as you know, know your audience and be respectful, and we'll leave. Yeah, I think so. And be respectful, and then. Um, yeah, we we've like I mean, Bill said it best. I mean, I, we've always co- sort of had this posture, uh, this policy, whatever you want to call it, on the Citadel Podcast, where it's like, you know what, we do modern miniatures, and you know, the war could be happening right now. Um, that's going to make some people uncomfortable, understood, um, but we're going to keep doing it. So, at the same time, uh, I've been on some other uh, discords and some other communities, and some, you know. I guess they thought it was funny. Uh, comments have been kind of dropped. And, uh, yeah, you know what? It, it's, I mean, I didn't even deploy over there. I, that, Afghanistan was way after my time. And uh, I'm looking at this stuff, and I'm like, dude, don't be a, oh. you know, it's, it's surprising, at least to me, that it, you know, it affects me at all. But at the same time, now is not, at least just speaking only for myself, now is not the time to, I guess, be a hypocrite. Right. Uh, we, we talked about we, we talked about the Irish Troubles. We talked about Ukraine. We talked about all these wars that affect other people. We're like, go for it, man. We talked about Colombia. I've got lots of friends. I live in South Florida. I've got lots of friends and coworkers that the reason they're here is their families fell uh, fled uh, uh, 
La Violencia back in the 80s, back in the 90s. And that's the reason that they're here working at the company that I work at now, um, or their kids are. And um, so, I, I mean, and then we, we gain drug battles, you know, uh, in sit rep skirmish or whatever. So it's you know, the wrong time to suddenly say, well, now that we've come across a conflict that actually pisses me off, suddenly it's now not cool to, right. you know, to run it or whatever. The only thing I would say, if you're going to game what's going on in Afghanistan right now, um, this is the reason, number one, that's the reason I wouldn't do it personally. But the other reason I wouldn't do it personally has nothing to do with whether or not it's too soon or it's too sensitive or it's too whatever is you don't know what the hell's going on over there. There is no way any of the stuff that's coming out of there is accurate or complete. Um, that's the other pitfall. The one that, that that's the somewhat smaller pitfall when it comes to modern wargaming that almost no one talks about is, oh, I mean, the big pitfall is it's too sensitive. It's too soon. Oh, you know, it's, some people are going to react negatively to this. That's what everyone always talks about. What many people don't talk about is you don't have a goddamn clue what's really happening over there. And if you think you do, I'm afraid I've got some bad news um, because what's coming out of either Fox or CNN, I don't care what outlet you watch. There's no way it's complete. There's no way it's unbiased. There's no way this stuff is unclassified. Um, as far as you know, letting it settle, the only reason I would ever let a, a modern conflict settle is wait for wait for wait for some books to be written, wait for some uh, some cool unbiased uh, detached viewpoints to be put out there by people who really do do this for a living, and um, you know, your, your games are going to be a little bit better from you know from that standpoint. But other than that, yeah. Uh, it's not something I would do personally, but I, I'm not going to bat an eye at anybody who does. Well, and to your point about the, you know, information, Jim. So I've, you know, I've been talking to uh, a lot of folks that are there and it's kind of third party, got a guy that's got a guy that's on the ground and depending on where that dude is. And we're talking about like just at the airport or Camp Sullivan, which is right across from the airport. That's three different perspectives and they have three wholly different stories to tell on what's going on the ground because they, you know they're they're working on their slice of the pie and that's yep. what they see uh you know and then uh information comes out in dribs and drabs and it's very difficult to put the uh big picture together as well as you know like if i had the big picture i couldn't talk about it because i don't want yeah. to share that because it's legit real info real time right now and real info, real time. Probably classified on the ground. Yeah, you, you, number one, it's probably classified. You'd be you'd be violating laws by even talking about it. Number two, yeah, you'd be putting people's lives in danger. And I've gotten in yeah. trouble for saying this on the podcast before, but I'll, I'll stand by it. When it comes to World War Two, World War One, I, I don't care how far back you go. If you want to really know what's going on in a battle or in a given situation, the last person you want to talk to is somebody who's there. There's yeah. no way that person's going to have the whole picture. There's no way that person is going to be emotionally detached and give yeah. you a nice. If you want to ask what it was like, he's the only person you can go to, because Mr. Oxford historian sitting back there in his overstuffed armchair smoking his pipe, you know, he's not going to have a clue what it was like to jump out of that Higgins boat on Omaha Beach or anything like that. But yeah, that's, well, where gonna, that, that, that's where you're going to get your overview as far as what happened what it was like that you have to go to somebody else for that. Yeah. And you know, uh, you know, in, in this case, you know, getting, having your, uh, your, your academic, uh, your person that studied this, uh, extensively and has gathered a large pool of data to, 
you know, make their, uh, their decisions and their findings and to put this in the concept of a game to design a game, you know, you want that big overarching view, but if you want a good narrative flavor, yep. then you start plucking those individual stories out and be like, dude, there I was crossing the channel, the fucking ramp went down and it was on, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, there's two great basic questions. What was actually happening? And to, to a bigger point, why it was happening, you need a greater, broader context for that. And then what it was like. And you got to go to two different people for that because those are two very, very different yeah. questions. You know, and you know, to, to be honest with uh, what's going on right now, uh, I think that there's uh, actually some, some opportunity for some great, uh, particularly smaller scenario-based uh, gaming uh, situations. Yeah. You know, because... Because you can one, you can you can kind of go off of what events are, but you can also use your uh, your your imagination a little bit, and you could set up a rescue mission. You could set up, uh, you know, that you're uh, uh, you know some high level uh, HBT that is trying to get to safety. You know, what I mean, there's there's a myriad of uh, scenarios that you could create out of it. You know, which uh, have at it. I mean, yeah, like I, I said, I, I, kind of what we did with 13 days or 13 days to 13 hours. You know, we used the historical situation. We changed the variable and played it out. Yeah, we, we did the best we could with that one. Even that one, the, re, the report was still heavily redacted. Um, so we, like, we didn't even know what weapons the guys were carrying for sure. We went by what they carried in the movie. Right. But um, what, what, you know, that what, if you actually read the Senate report, what weapons the, the, the people were carrying, that's mm-hmm. actually still blacked out on the report and that's that's the great thing about skirmish gaming i know i'm usually the big battle guy but the further you click down in the scale of your game i mean like the scale of the battle obviously it's going to be like the, the larger the miniature but if your battle is like five or six operators up against like 20 taliban or even smaller um the smaller the battle the less you rely on like hardcore big picture historical information um, because usually history doesn't get recorded at that very, very small individual firefight level. So, yeah, you can like make up a, you know, this is the kind of thing that's happening over there. And it's like, you know, one more day in Afghanistan or, you know, somewhere in Kabul 2021 and you're fine as far as historical accuracy goes, because that historical accuracy will probably never really emerge, yeah. at least not at that level. Commando raids, Osama bin Laden's raid, Pegasus Bridge. Every once in a while, you get a special case where we really do know the name of every single guy in the plane, what he was carrying, where he was standing, how, you know, you know, the super small skirmish level battle is recorded for posterity, like down to the down to the nuts and bolts. But those are actually kind of the exception. Right, Most yeah. of the time, the, when it comes down to the firefight level, and I think that's one reason why uh, skirmish games have become more popular. Uh, the rule sets are usually a little simpler. The model count is definitely lower, and there's less uh, reliance on hardcore historical data. Um, yeah, yeah, and and uh, you know, going back to kind of what we were talking about with uh, uh, the uh, hex encounter games, if you're playing a tabletop miniature game at the skirmish level, it doesn't require as as many resources. You don't need as big a table. You don't need as much terrain. Da 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 da. All that jazz. Because it's usually played in a smaller area. Oh, yeah, it's definitely much more accessible. Yeah. All right. So there you go, guys. Food for thought on the on those issues. 
So let's change gears since the three of us are here. Um, yep. Butter bar to four star. Oh, yay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How are we doing this? Is it, uh, we've had some time to think about it. We thought that awesome name up. I mean, Butter Bar right? Four Star, that was great. You know, that. that guy, I tell you, we should put him on the payroll. Um, yeah. You get paid, right? now. I will send yeah, you we're, M&Ms. We're going to double what you made last year. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Make, you know, take what you made last year and add 20%. <laughs> There you go, right out of Christmas, right, right yep. out of Christmas vacation. There you go, twenty <laughs> percent. <laughs> All right, so we really uh, we've had time to think about. It. I've been kicking this around. Um, you know, there there's been so many different things thrown at us. Is about you know how do we include everybody in the world? How do we do this? The question comes down is what is the final objective of doing this? Right. What is it that we're trying? To, what is that final objective? What are we trying to accomplish? Uh, uh, see how long it takes Marty to get court-martialed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, you made it to first lieutenant. Good job, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Here's your Article 15. Congratulations. Uh, so, the, obviously, the, the final goal is to be uh, general. Right, four-star general. What is it? General in the Marine Corps as well. Um, oh yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, you know, because you know, a, a single-star general is a brigadier. Two is major. Three is lieutenant, and then general is four. Uh, we're not going to do the whole silly five-star general of the Army or Marine Corps BS. So uh, there hasn't been a five-star officer in our military since 1956. Right. Omar Bradley retired. Right. Yep. So um, they talked about making Schwarzkopf a five-star general for about six seconds in 1991. Yeah, and the first person to shoot that idea down was Schwarzkopf himself. Yeah, so probably God, a good call. God willing, <laughs> we'll never see another five-star general because in order for America to have a five-star officer, it means we are in some heavy global World War III shit. Right. So actually, let's hope we never see another five-star general. Okay, so we want to have a career. It's obviously a career mode campaign type thing, uh, and you have to get to general. So, you know, what we've been kicking around so far, we're kicking the can around the play yard, is that in one conflict, you're going to start out as a butter bar, second lieutenant. Um, yep. So it's basically a platoon leader yeah. for everyone in the, in the audience. Yep. So then, so then the question is, what is the criteria for you to get promoted? Uh, how many battles do you fight during said campaign to move on to the next campaign? You know, so we we kind of said, hey, maybe we should start in Vietnam, um, you know, because there was, you know, a lot of that whole, I mean, in, in World War II, all wars, honestly, but, you know, very poignant if you look at a modern side of warfare. In Vietnam, a lot of people went, you know, from stateside as butter bars to go you know, command a platoon over a nom, um, you know, as ground pounders or whatever the case may be. Uh, we've had some people say, you know, Vietnam may not be the best one because it did include all nations. So yeah, we can just say we can just say 1960s. Yeah, because once you just say 1960s, 
All of uh, Africa opens up. Yeah, boom, and you've got everybody. <laughs> right. So the then rest of, the rest of Southeast Asia. So then the then the other side of that is the logistics side of it. If we're saying okay, any conflict in 1960s, how do we gauge success or failure? You know, because we want people. All right, say. Do we say, okay, if you're fighting for the U.K., these are your battles um, in your campaign. If you're French, this is yours. If you're American, this is yours. You know, how do we gauge success and failure? Okay, so what we need is a place for anyone who wants to participate in this to have like a central place where they can either post battle reports, post table photos, and talk about the games that they did. Because we don't, I don't think, I don't think we want to run these games for the people. No, do not no. want to do that. It's too much yeah. work. Yeah, not only that, but it, it also takes away all the creativity and fun uh, mm-hmm. for the people that are participating. So right. any any system, I mean, we'll split. We, we, okay, so the first thing, we need a central place. Yeah. The Discord. website isn't up. If, yeah, there you go. We can set up a new, uh, a new space in our Discord server. Yep. yep. And what our new space in our Discord server is going to be is like, okay, we're going to set up, well, let's go ahead and uh, and not finalize, but definitely sketch out the levels now. Um, platoon level. These are games like Bolt Action. Yeah. Or I'm trying to think of other, other platoon. Uh, what do you guys so think? Bolt are, action, are there other platoon level games? You could do Bolt Action. You could do like Chain of Command. Um, you could do Ultra Combat or Ultra Combat uh, Normandy. Um, you know, that's not squad level. That's that's more platoon. You can do squad level, platoon level. You can do them all. Okay, it it, it scales. Um, you know, bolt action. I'm and team, uh, not team Yankee. Uh, what's the um, World War Two version? Flames of War. Flames of War is more company and battalion, right? Yeah, that 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 that's like the next yeah. click up. All right. So platoon level again. I know you guys know, but for people who, who are listening later, platoon level is your second lieutenant. You've got anywhere between 30 and, say, 45 men, probably a senior staff NCO somewhere in your platoon, and three sergeants leading three squads yeah. of anywhere between eight and, if you're a crazy Marine, 13 men. So you wind up with about 30 men to, again, depends on, you know, that's the size of the game we're talking about. Um, and that's going to be platoon level. Uh, so yeah, games like Flames of War. I guess if you did a very very small Flames of War scenario, you could kind of get away with it. Battle Group, maybe. But I mean, technically, there's some platoon level games in Battle Group, but again, those are mostly uh, company level games. Right. So we'd want to have a, a, a platoon level game. That's your first lieutenant, or second lieutenant, and then you may get promoted to first lieutenant, depending on the army you're in, because armies have different rank structures. Those are just these are we're using the, the American ranks for now. And then the next level would be company level. So we're not going to have one for every rank because, oh, because second bar, second lieutenant, butter bar lieutenant is 01. And four star general is 010. We're not going to have 10 levels. (laughs) But we're going to have, we're going to do it by military echelon, I think. I can stop me if you guys want. No, I I think you're on the right track. Yeah, you're on the right track. Yeah, so platoon platoon level, that's going to be second lieutenant. Then you get promoted to second lieutenant. I'm uh, what I just say? You start off at second lieutenant, butter bar. You get promoted to first lieutenant, silver bar. You're still kind of in the platoon level. First lieutenants are usually exos of companies, but we'll kind of let that slide. In some militaries, uh, first lieutenants are company commanders, especially the Soviets. Um, they call them senior lieutenants and they command companies. But anyway, that almost doesn't matter. 
After that, you get promoted to captain. And captain is when you start commanding companies. Company is about 100 to 150 men, uh-huh. three platoons. So take the previous level, multiply by three. Now you've got three platoons plus either a weapons company or a command element or a mortar detachment, who knows what. Again, depends on your branch, uh, depends on your nation, depends on your era, depends on your conflict. And now you're talking about – also depends on whether or not you want to command tanks. Right. Um, you could do Team like Yankee and infantry. command and company level. So yeah. So okay, going back to tanks, platoon level is four tanks. Yeah, you're done. Your whole army is four tanks, and that's it. You are a platoon leader in an armored formation. Four tracks, done. Company level, depending whether or not you're playing an all armor team or an all armor company or one of those mixed teams like Team Yankee, um, you got anywhere between fourteen and sixteen tracks, depending on the exact. Uh, makeup of your unit. Yeah. It's usually three platoons of four, an XO and a CO. That is 14 tanks total. But again, sometimes you mix up the teams, you swap a platoon with a mecha- with a, a sister company and a mechanized battalion, and you wind up with two platoons of tanks and a platoon of mechanized infantry, an ITV element, something like that. Uh, so you could have a little bit more uh, as far as numbers of vehicles go. That's company level. And then, yeah, you can play company level for a while, and eventually you click up to battalion. Battalion is three companies. Yeah. And uh, that's going to be tough. That's where you uh, – battalion's a tough one. Um, it's bata- Most game systems out there, it, it kind of tends to jump from company straight to brigade, and they often skip over battalion. Panzer Leader is mostly a brigade game. Games like Panzer Leader are mostly brigade games. I guess you could use uh, Northag. Yeah, he's often yeah. it's kind of like a battalion game, or or you can do battalions in things like Battle Group. Technically, you can do definitely do uh, battalions in Flames of War. It's just a big game now. Because a battalion is like five to six hundred men, or upwards of like forty tanks. So you can technically do battalions. Uh, uh, the, the battalion levels often given in Flames of War scenarios aren't quite correct. And I think the reason they do that is because, you know, they don't want to scare people. Mm-hmm. But a battalion is really five or 600 men or, not and, or 40 tanks plus or a mixture therein, some, something like that. Like 300 men and 20 tanks, or so, you know, some weird combination, you know, depends on your battalion. That's yeah. usually a... Yeah, you're looking at three three line companies of whatever flavor and uh, a headquarters element. Yeah. So again, one of those companies might be a team, like we see in Team Yankee, or right. some kind of you know mixed arms. You know, these, these units are all very homogenous, at least in the American military stateside, um, because that's how you train, that's how you maintain, that's how you do admin. It's much much cheaper that way, much easier. However, that does not work in combat. So usually, when you deploy, is when you start seeing these. Okay, every these two battalion, these two brigades, they're each going to swap uh, uh, one of their uh, like a mechanized, uh, like like a, stri- a modern era, a striker brigade combat team and an armored brigade combat team. They're each going to switch one battalion, and then within those two battalions, they're each going to switch one company with you know each other, and then within those companies, they're each going to switch one platoon with each other. So you wind up with these either tank heavy or mech uh, heavy uh, teams. That's a little more relevant and a little more fun actually as far as wargaming goes, because that's how the armies are actually meant to fight. Yep. Right. Um, that's not usually how they're built stateside. So when you go to Wikipedia or whatever, and you look up these order battles, you're not going to see them. Um, but uh, it also gives you a lot more freedom as far as building your lists go. 
and that's where you're going to see these different kinds of uh, these different kind of armies yeah. on your table. But yeah, well, and and the U.S. also embraces the concept of task organization. Uh, you know, if you need a specialized unit or component added to your team, you know, there's they'll do it. Yeah, <laughs> they'll pull some weird stuff in. You know, you, you may be a, a an infantry battalion, and then you've got this one weird platoon or company that uh, is off to the side that supports their particular mission. Yep. And this is sometimes people compare it to like the Germans' Kampfgruppe in World War II. I would say that what the Americans do nowadays with their task forces is what the Germans wish they could do uh, with their Kampfgruppe. So the Americans have all these resources and all these units, and they say, okay, we have a specific mission. We're going to go ahead and tailor build this, what used to be a battalion. It still is battalion size, but now it's from Lego blocked together yeah. from like 10 different units to be specifically tailored for this one mission. Here we go. The German Kampfgruppe in World War II battle groups in World War II were basically, oh shit, what's left? Um, scrape it all together, give it to this major. Okay, go kick some ass, you know, and God bless. And we'll probably never see you again. But <laughs> <laughs> so I can deal with Yeah, that, that was a German Kampfgruppe, especially later on in the war. Um, but it's kind of the same thing. It's this hodgepodge kind of collected from different units. And, you know, sent together for a, a, I don't want to say temporary unit, but kind of a temporary unit profile uh, sent to accomplish a, a very particular mission. So, so that would be the company, that, that yeah. would be battalion level, then you go up to uh, brigade level. And then from there, we could probably go to division and kind of stay there. And yeah. then, you know, once you get done with division level, um, you've now made it. You get promoted to technically core level, but there aren't that many core level games core level wars in modern warfare. Uh, after you get promoted to division, you say, okay, you, you head back to Washington, you pick up your core and uh, that's three stars. And then, you know, you eventually become four star general. I, uh, I don't know when, I, I don't want, I don't know what the exit ramp is. I kind of almost uh, suggest we stop at division. Okay. Which is technically two well, stars. This, yeah, I was going to say, your two star general is the last one that actually commands troops if you will because uh beyond that really what they're commanding is other generals yeah yeah now if this was world war ii we could go all the way to four star because there are core level games there are core level battles three so, stars and four star you are a cathedral commander like schwarzkopf commanded everything in the gulf what happens if we have two or three people make it to four star general you command the gulf war what does the other guy command you command uh i don't know Gulf War in an alternate universe. I mean, he, he, yeah, I was gonna say he commands yeah. his Gulf War. Yeah, <laughs> who's more successful, right? You know, then you look at losses, and um, so this leads to an interesting question: Should we pigeonhole it? You know, like we we're saying, well, we start in the 1960s because I'm thinking as Jim's talking about, you know, when we get to like battalion level games and stuff, what war has the most resources to play all these levels? Truthfully. World War Two. Well, right. Well, well a command. Yeah, a, yeah. a, a command. A, a, uh, see, I, I almost say no. Uh, right. I, I, I see where you're going. Yeah. But a, a career is thirty years. Yeah. That's true. That's and true. That, that's kind of that's kind of what we're picking the 1960s. Yeah. Sort of yeah. I was gonna say the problem is that there's no career progression if we do that because it doesn't last long enough. Right. Yeah. So uh, I've I've done career games like that in World War Two. Gross Deutschland. We took one year of Gross Deutschland Panzer Grenadier Division and we played it. Yeah. I started off as a major, I ended up as a lieutenant colonel. 
because how far are you going to go in a year? Right. Um, you know, uh, so I've, I've kind of done on much smaller scopes the kind of project we're talking about yeah. before. I've just never tried to do the entire scope of an officer's career. So from, he, so then, no, I, I agree with you. I, you know, I was just looking at it from the resource side of it. Here's what I propose. You know, we said the 1960s. What if we say it's Vietnam is, is the theater of operations. Whether you were your representative country was there or not, you take the units, weapons that you would have had if you had fought in Vietnam, and everybody fights Vietnam. And then we go to— There might be some rules constraints on that or some liberties that have to be taken. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah. I mean, all you have to do is take rules published for ANZACs and pretty much publish them out to the British. They right. largely use a lot of the same stuff. And then the I mean, NVA would be in nor in the Viet NVA would be any Soviet bloc essentially. You know, the NVA, well, not but, Viet Cong, but yep. Um, so that would be your Soviet bloc, and then a lot of your Western allies have already. You know, like the um, the French. I think there are rules for the French already. In some games, you know, for Vietnam, because obviously they were there first, and you know. so I mean, it's possible. And then we go from there. So, all right. So the first career path, decade one, Vietnam, sixties, right? Sixties okay. to early seventies. What's decade two? Eighties uh, for for potential conflicts. Yeah, seventies, eighties. It would have to be seventies because if you're a, if you're a second lieutenant or a first lieutenant in the sixties, you have to be a captain by the seventies, yeah. or you're getting rotated out. Yeah. Um, so then, what are the big conflicts of the seventies that people could game? Arab-Israeli war. Well, not if you're in the U.S. Army. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we we could. There's something we could find. Yeah. There's there's going to be some. I mean, it was a disastrous mission, but maybe you can make it turn out better. We could always do uh, Operation Eagle Claw, oh, Desert One. Yeah. Yeah, there's that. Maybe, well, you know, I mean, it was so, a shit show in real life, but maybe you could maybe, maybe you can improve it. You know, or should say the player. Maybe the player can improve the result. Well, let let me bounce this off of you though. We just we just told you know. Oh, what am I an, talking about? An American. Vietnam. Vietnam went all the way through at least the first half of the seventies. Well, yeah. yeah, we weren't out completely till seventy five. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, we just told all of our uh, friends and allies that are not U.S. or uh, did not uh, participate directly in the Vietnam War. Hey, this is where you're going to start. Right. Go there. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to do that with the with the U.S. I think in in the seventies. <laughs> we're going to have to go to somebody else's war. And, into or, ourselves again, we, we, we should just have it be like decade based. Like, okay, uh, company, or I should say platoon level. Platoon level, you start off, oh man. <laughs> it's going to be weird. It's going to be like 65 to 70. It's starting to turn into an RPG a little bit, too. <laughs> well, you're, you're, that was like, the whole point. Have to. It's, it's literally, yeah. yeah, that was the whole point of the mission is you, you're basically creating a character. Yeah. You're, you know, Second Lieutenant Johnson or whatever, you're starting off as a as a guy, and you're trying to level him up. You know, the hell yeah, it's an RPG. Yeah, uh, yeah. At least in some aspects of it. Yeah. So yeah, like like Era One, it can't be strictly. I don't think it can be strictly camp. Uh, 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 because because we're gonna run out of. Okay, 
it can't be strictly um, decade based. We're going to run out of decades, right? Because we have like five levels: platoon, company, battalion, brigade, division. Five levels. If we did a decade for each level, we have some eighty-year-old general hobbling <laughs> around. Um, that's not going to work. No. So it's going to be like, have okay, you seen the Joint Chiefs of Staff. I'm just <laughs> Uh, we're going to start off with, say, okay, era one, 65 to 73. And you can or make about, captain by the end of 75. Yeah, we'll say, we'll say, well, that's what I'm saying. That's going to yeah. be era two. Yeah. So we'll say like 65 to 72. That's era one. Never mind. I mean, Vietnam is going to be where most Americans are going to want to play, but right. we've got other people. I know one guy who's going to want to join us. I want to be a new lieutenant in the IDF. I want to be a tank platoon commander in the IDF. There you go. Oh, Damon. <laughs> yeah, well, that'll, that'll, that'll cover him. Yeah. And, and he'll and he'll command a platoon of either Centurions or Patton's uh, M48 Magath 3s in the Six-Day War. Okay, that's going to be his platoon game. All right, I'll play a Marine, you know, uh, a platoon commander or platoon leader in, you know, Vietnam or something. And who knows what other people are going to do. Right. That's era one. Era two is going to be 73 to 82. Or something like that. Do it at Just 83 got... because you can put Grenada in there. So, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. But, yeah, the reason I cut it off at 72 is I'm leaving 73 in there. So the Americans can keep playing in Vietnam. Yeah. Because we, we get out of there officially in 73. Um, and then there's stuff like Eagle Claw, Dominican Republic, yeah, little stuff like that, Grenada later on. Yeah. Uh, Beirut, stuff like that. Of course, this leaves 73 in level two for the average Railway War players. And as far as French or British players, whole, like, like Martin keeps saying, holy hell, you've got Africa. Right. All, of, all of Africa. Yeah. Just, just you're put, good a, to go. put a map of Africa up there, throw a dart. <laughs> that's, that's, there, there's where you're going. Yeah, because I think that's kind of uh, how they did it back then. <laughs> Angola, Rwanda, Mozambique, um, uh, Kenya. Yeah, yeah. Zimbabwe. It's, it literally just never stops, sadly. Um, so, yeah, that way we've got – so Era 2 covered. You may captain by the early 80s. And then we have uh, 80s and 90s for uh, – 80s and early 90s for battalion. And then you've got late 90s for brigade. And then, uh, you know, modern stuff. Uh, so brigade would probably last through 2003. So you can do the beginning of Operation Iraqi Freedom in 2003, and also the beginning parts of uh, Afghanistan. And then that way, if you if we want to go all the way to division, you've got division uh, for War of Terror going forward, 2004, pretty much today. Fallujah, uh, Sadr City, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Some of the bigger, yeah. So I, I suggest that when we set these uh, we set these eras, we sort of straddle like uh, conflicts. Yeah. So that if players do well and they're still in Vietnam, they may captain, they can keep going in the same conflict. This also allows us to get five uh, eras in basically three, maybe three and a half decades for okay. a more realistic career path. All right. 35 years is a pretty good career for, for a, an army general or for a, you know, for a flag rate officer. Right. Sounds like a plan. All right, let, let's hammer home those uh, timelines again. So we're talking 65 to 73 for level one. 
Lieutenant? 65 to, 65 to 72. 72. Okay. 65 yeah, to 72. Yeah, the only reason to go, I want to leave 73 in level two so people who want to keep gaming Vietnam can still keep going. Gotcha. All right. Then 73 to 82, 83. I think we said 83, so we can yep. include Grenada. Yep. All right. So 73 to 83. Although, do we want to? Do we want to? Because we've already we, we we've already got the Americans covered in seventy three. Yeah, we're we're leaving we're leaving Vietnam, we're leaving the vestiges of Vietnam, and then of course the, all the unofficial stuff that that never happened. Air quotes. We're leaving all that stuff in era one. Okay. So hold on, now I actually have to write something down. <laughs> no, this is probably not the kind of thing we should do on a hot mic, but. You're seeing it here live, folks. You're seeing how the sausage is made. All right, nice. Here we go. 65 to 72 is platoon. 73 to, let me just spitball this, yeah, to 80 please. is company. 81 to, this way This way, we have Grenada in, air, in, in battalion. We have uh, Grenada in, in number three. Because you'll have Grenada, you have Panama. Um, yeah, I forgot about Panama. Yeah. So, so 81 to 90 okay. is battalion. 91 to, one was Kosovo. The Kosovo was like 99, right? Um, uh, no, it was earlier before than that. that, wasn't it? Yeah. Where, no, where's Kosovo, 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 was there. Kosovo was 99. Uh, the Balkans started off in 90 and went, God knows when, 90 to 92 was the, was the worst of it. Um. Well, let's try not to make this too American specific. Trending. What else? What else was going on in the in, in the late nineties? Of course, two thousand one. Everything breaks wide open. But well, you had the Philippines, oh, uh, you have Burma, you have. Uh, uh, I, I, I forgot about Somalia. Ninety three. Yeah. Yep. Somalia. Okay, so, we're, so ninety to say two thousand. Yep. Say is brigade because we're kind of we're, we're going to go ahead and skip over regiment. Um. And then 2001 forward yep. is division. Yep. That way we have Iraqi freedom in there. Uh, if you want to come in a division in Iraqi freedom. There were only like four divisions or so, full divisions. I know there were pieces from half from God knows how many divisions. But as far as the size of Iraqi freedom, it wasn't that big, um, at least compared to Desert Storm. Um, right. yeah. Okay, so yeah, how's that? Uh, did you guys get those, get those dates? If not, I have them written down. Yeah, I'm written down. Okay, yeah, so six, 65 to 72 is platoon, mm-hmm. level 1. 73 to 80 is company, level 2. 81 to 90 is battalion, level 3. 91 to 2000 is brigade. And then 2001 to question mark is division. And um, that leaves room in case anyone wants to get really ambitious and wants to go above division. All right, so we're talking core. Armies. Core, core slash army, yeah. yeah. So if you uh, want to command the whole kit and caboodle in OIF or, you know, yeah, freedom. That would, so. that would literally be it. So 2001 to 2002, uh, that's a very short period, but that could be division. Yep. If you wanted to command, like, some stuff in Afghanistan on the divisional level, although there wasn't a whole lot of divisional level combat in there. But we can figure something out. And then 2003 is optional. 2003, you can either command a division if you're still there, or you can command a corps slash army. Which is basically you command all of Operation Iraqi. Yeah, Freedom. so you're doing CENTCOM yeah. or you know whatever. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah I was gonna say that makes you a theater commander. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Ooh, theater that's commander. That's, that's, you, can you hear that's, Jim's that's, juices that's, flowing now? 
theater commander. That's literally, that's literally the four, the four-star general. Yeah, yeah, you're basically Schwarzkopf the sequel. Yep. Hey, it who, like I should know point. who actually who actually did command that, but I don't remember off the top of my head. I should know that. Who actually did was who actually was in charge of uh, Iraqi freedom? Uh, that depends on when you're talking about because it changed hands. Oh yeah, several <laughs> several times. Yeah. Talk about a career, yeah. Yeah. All Here's, right. What, 14. So we've got the basic ingredients to build the foundation for this campaign. Excellent. As far as uh, yeah, as far as as far as like judging when somebody moves on, I mean, we don't want to like force people to play games that they don't want to play. But right. I don't know, like three games per rank or something. We're assuming you're going to win at least one of them. So yeah, how do they how do they get promoted? Yeah, that would be good. So you know, if we're saying all right, in each era you have to play three combat conflicts, you know, some some battle, you know. Right. So what is the criteria to get promoted to the next rank? Two out of three. Because I'm sorry, a one out of three is not really promotable worthy. My case, um, unless you do something thinking? really, really great, you know. Well, then it go. Then we go out the Jim Ariskini, uh battle rating system. Is it a yeah. moral victory, a tactical victory? You know those kind of things. Oh, that's that. That's certainly not my. Uh, that, that's not my skill. <laughs> that's Lord Avalon Hill. Marginal, yep. tactical, and decisive. Yeah. yeah. So either you know. You pimp slapped them, you roundhouse them, or you curb stomped his ass. <laughs> Those are the three basic calls. So I say, as long as you, you to, can count it as a win. Home. He's going home crying. He's going home in an ambulance, or he's not going home at all. Those, right. are, those are the three calls of victory. <laughs> so, you know, as far as I, I, I don't know, if, if we say, all right, each each era, you got to win, you got to play three battles. You, you need to win two out of three to get promoted. Let's yeah, you have simple. to play at least. Uh, how about yeah? We well, have to have at least three battles, and you have to have at least two victories. Yes. That way, if you lose like one out, of, if you only get like one out of three, you have to play a fourth battle. Right. I, I was gonna say, but they can keep playing until they get two victories. Is that it? So, I mean, the, the line is two victories. What if I win the first two? Do I still have to play a third? No. Well, no, because you, ha- you have to have at least three games. Yeah, okay. you have, you have to have games. at least three games and two victories. Yep. So, yes, you have to play three games and minimum of two wins. How about this? Oh, here if, it comes. Depending on how – this is this is all go back to that stupid gross Deutschland thing. Um, if you win really well or you win like two games in a row or one of your battles is a decisive victory or you just put up a kick-ass battle report. Because what we're really let's, – let's, let's not be – let's not be – Let's not bullshit around. <laughs> what we're really trying to do is to drive community involvement. Right. And that's going to happen by people posting kick-ass battle reports in this new Discord thing we're going to set up. Right. So if you put up like a really kick-ass uh, Discord, a uh, really kick-ass battle report with pictures, God knows what, lots of pictures, cool graphics, some detailed write-ups or whatever, it's not going to affect your score. But basically, if you win two games in a row – or if you win the game with a decisive victory, or if you put up a really good battle report, there are, wait for it, on, on top of ranks, there are medals. Nice! You build up a chest. <laughs> build, up all that, build up that salad bar, that hardware store on your chest. Nice. All right, so now, let, let's say uh, uh, you're, uh, you're on a roll, and you're, you're winning your games, and you got medals. Could that potentially fast track you to get promoted faster where like you still have to win your two battles but you if you win your first two you don't have to play the third one at a at a higher level that could definitely work yeah 
um, almost like you're carrying over successes from the previous level. Right. You've got, you got, you got, you got, yeah, you got, you really did well at platoon level and now you get the captain level. You're not starting over completely from scratch. And, and you, you're, you got some, you know, some momentum built up. It's kind of like you're the apple of the command's eye and, you know, they've recognized your, uh, you know, tactical prowess and are advancing you, uh, faster. So that way you can do more great things at higher levels. Cause this never happens. It didn't happen with Schwarzkopf in Vietnam. It didn't happen with McMaster's and Desert Storm. You know, just saying. Like, yeah, just saying. <laughs> next thing you know, the next time I heard of McMaster's, he was on like Trump's staff. I was like, I, why do I recognize that guy? Oh my God, am I old? Do you realize like <laughs> who he was and when you were? Oh, Jesus Christ, I'm old. Um, uh, anyway. Turns out he was running amok in the background. He was doing something. So basically, Mary, what you're saying is when we go to the next era – Instead of having to play three games, they only have to play two because they, they've they been meddled or, or promoted. I, mean, I, I see what he's saying. Well, we'll have to figure something well, out. I yeah. mean, yeah, we're going to have to flesh it out. But, but yes, that kind of concept where, you know, let's, let's say I we won. We reward good play. Yeah. You know, I, good I play or my, good battle. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, so, you know, I win my, my first three games as a, as a platoon leader uh, and I provide, you know, some great battle reports and I've got an awesome looking table and, you know, it's kick ass. I get moved on to captain. Uh, I'm doing the same thing. I won my first two battles. You know what? You don't have to play that third battle. Uh, you know, you've been recognized. We give you the, the Legion of Merit or, you know, meritorious, uh, super guy award and you are promoted to Lieutenant Colonel commander. Yeah. Yeah, we could do it pretty simple. We could say, okay, look, um, if you somehow overachieve in a given level, you get to carry one game and one victory, one victorious game into the next level. And we, we kind of write the rule like that. That way, there you we go, yeah. Get, yeah, we, we kind of get into what okay. Marty's talking about where it's like, okay, I'm in the captain now. I won either all three of my platoon games, so I'm not really required to. I was only required to win two of them, but I won all three. Or I did a good battle. Basically, I won a bronze star somewhere. Sure. I go into captain. Um, I'm a newly promoted captain with a bronze star. Sweet. So I'm on the fast track. Now I am, or whatever the British or French you know, version of that is, Soviet. I'm, I'm going to play a Soviet. I got bad news for y'all. I'm playing a Russian, man. Oh, no, you can't. Yeah. Come on, man. Someone's got to do it. <laughs> anyway. Uh-huh. Um. Either, either a Russian or a Marine. I don't know which. If I play a Marine, I'll be too cheesy. Play a I'm Russian right. Marine. Naval infantry are badass, man. I might. Uh, where was I? Yeah, you get to go in there with a with one battle that's considered a victorious battle kind of under your belt. That way, if you win two battles as, as captain, or even if you just play two battles as captain. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I, it's, I'm a platoon leader. I win three battles. Somehow I come out of there with a bronze star. Great. I now start as captain. I've got one game, one victorious game in my pocket, score-wise. I play a game as captain, I lose. I play a game as captain, and I win. I get promoted. Because now I technically have three games and two victories Yep. as a captain. Yep. I did take that loss, though, and if I choose not to play that third game as a captain – if I go straight to major, okay, now I go into, because I did not overperform as captain, I don't, I, I don't have that momentum anymore. I'm right. just now, is, I'm now at battalion level with basically, you know, a clean slate. Yep. 
Keep it simple. Yeah, that sounds good. As far as the decorations go, it'll be nice and staircased. I'll have like four levels. I'll do the research. I'll make sure everyone's, you know, different nations are uh, are uh, represented or whatever, different awesome. levels. And it, it'll just be a basic. The first time you do it, okay, you get the bronze star. The second time you do it, you get, you know, I don't know. What's next? Legion of Merit or the Silver Star? Silver star. Then, or Ogre uh, Cluster or however we want to do it. Yeah, so. yeah, it, it depends. I, I was going to say, yeah, you could be awarded the same award again, you know, depending yeah. on, you know, uh, if, that be? If, if you're in the Marines, you have the Navy Cross gets in there somewhere. I think Navy Cross is technically above Silver Star. Yeah, it is. There's actually a present. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, I want to save uh, Victoria Crosses and CMHs for very last, obviously. Yeah. You're going to have to, like, really kick ass on, like, at least four of the levels. Yeah, you're basically going to be the last man standing and turn the tide of the battle, you know, or something spectacular like that to qualify for and- the DC or the CMH. And, and have a kick-ass battle report. Yes, it and has to have see, a good battle report to go with it. It has to have a good battle report, and I want to see freaking command units on the table, and I want to know when command units get hit because I'm giving out purple hearts, too. Ooh, look at Jim. <laughs> there you go. Your All guy right. made it out of there. We're not going to kill anyone's character, but, yeah, you got you, you got lit up there in the Mekong Delta. I got bad news for you. Yeah. All right, so you know what we got to do? We're going to have to write all this crap down. Uh, and start putting together a, a program, you know, operational, whatever. So, yeah, that'll that'll all be published in Discord. I'm yeah. So we'll put a, we'll put a Google Doc together that people can download, and you know, we'll link it in the Discord channel. Or what, can you attach files in Discord, Jim? Yep. Okay. That's the preferred way they want you to I, do it. Okay. I was gonna say, yeah, they would prefer you just dump the file there. All right. So then we'll just create a really cool, snazzy op opsec manual and. Um, we'll go from there and, you know, we'll get people signed up once we hammer out the manual itself, um, the app order, and then we can go from there. Sounds like a plan. Yeah, this is awesome. I don't know about you yeah. guys, but I'm excited. I can't believe you're going to play Russians, you commie. Um, yeah. You're going to leave half, you're going to leave half the world off the, off the table? Well, you know, somebody's going to want to play the Russians. That gives you a lot to work with, though. Yeah. <laughs> That is true. That is true. Talk about talk about someone who's never going to have to worry about where I'm going. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> I'm not going to have any problem with that. Yeah, I got the whole. I got half the world to myself. There you go. Y'all fight over everything else. You'll well, 15 people in Vietnam, <laughs> and we'll just have Ariskany in friggin' Angola somewhere or whatever the hell. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There you guys go. So the seeds have been planted. Uh, so the three of us, we're going to have to have a meeting offline and uh, hammer out the uh, logistics and create the manual and uh, get that published. So that sounds awesome. All right, guys. Well, we're going to go ahead and close yep. out the show. Um, any final thoughts from anybody? Marty? All right. So we, we kind of touched on the on this earlier and uh you know with uh, the situation in uh Afghanistan and all this stuff that's uh going on there what i would say is if you've got a buddy that served in Afghanistan give that dude a call yeah make sure he's doing okay yeah cuz there's a lot of them that aren't yeah and you know uh, i know that with uh, the experience i've had this week and talking to some of my friends and some of the guys that you think are are solid dudes and they are are struggling yeah. So, you know, give them a call. Make sure they're doing all right. You know, 
go go have a, go go have a beer. Go you know go to Top Golf, whatever. Uh, you know go. Yeah. Uh, you know, do a little little something to make sure that uh, you know they they know that uh, you know there's there's folks here that are thinking about them. Yep. So. Yeah, I've already reached out to my son, so just make sure he's doing okay. So, yeah, yeah, good, good advice, Marty. Good advice, Jim. Final thoughts? Um, no, I couldn't have said it better myself. And um, I've already talked way too much this episode, so yeah, <laughs> no, nothing really new for me. <laughs> no, I, I was in it, your wheelhouse, though. Yeah, I mean. Uh, so, you know, just to close out the stream, guys, you know, make sure you're taking care of your buddies and your friends. Uh, even the ones that seem like the rock solid supermen, you know, they still have conflicts themselves. Um, and we want you guys to enjoy gaming, you know, be, feel free to game the way you want to just be respectful. Um, you know, that's all we ask and, you know, have the freedom to, you know, game whatever era battle you want to you know i still do the acw even though well we won't go there but anyways just do it respectfully that's all that's required um so for the sit rep podcast team to spill for this week's or this every other week's episode uh make sure that you check out jim's live stream tomorrow as they finish up some more conflict in the do you consider it the Far East these days, Jim? I mean, what is the proper term? You know, is it? I always call it Western Pacific. There you go, Western Pacific. That's just me. Um, and uh, check out that action tomorrow. Uh, make sure you tell your friends to like, subscribe, uh, hit the notification bell if you're on YouTube or follow us on Facebook. Uh, we've gained some more traction this month so far in subscribers on YouTube. I'd really like to see us hit 700 by end of year. I mean. Honestly, I'd like to see us higher than that, but I'll, I'll take 700. Um, the closer... We, one again, million. One million. <laughs> Heck, I'd be... That might be next year's goal. Honestly, as soon as we can hit the 1,000, we're going to be, you know, um, doing pretty well because then, you know, we can start getting ad revenue from... Um, Pretty sure we... Yeah. We, uh, we're, we're eligible to be monetized at 1,000. Yeah, so, I mean, we've hit all other uh, marks for monetization. It's just the 1,000 base. So if you guys out there can help us, we'd appreciate it. Uh, look forward to more information about Butter Bar to 4 Star, as well as our um, Dead Presidents Gaming Weekend. So, yes. you know, that we did, <laughs> we talked about on the live stream uh, on Saturday night. So, for everybody here at the Sit Red Podcast, have a great week of gaming. We will see you soon, and make sure you check out Jim's game tomorrow. And we will talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. You have been listening to the Sit Rep Podcast. We hope you have enjoyed the show. Make sure you like and subscribe to all of our channels on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, and Discord. Remember to join us every other weekend for a new episode of the podcast. And don't forget our other programming on Wednesdays and Sundays. Thanks for listening. 